Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Good Friday service. Good Friday is uh, it's a term that we take for granted a lot, um, but it's pretty ironic that Christians celebrate the death of Jesus and call it Good Friday. We're going to explain more why that is, but uh, that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the way we're going to do it is by uh, listening to passages from Matthew's gospel read, and we're going to sing some uh, selections from some hymns dealing with his death, and then at the end, we're going to um, observe the Lord's Supper. So let's join our hearts together in prayer as we get started. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for the death of Christ. We thank you for what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished for us. We thank you that when Jesus died on the cross, he accomplished the work that you had given him to complete. He had paid the price for our salvation. Thank you that uh, as Jesus hung on the cross and his suffering was over, he could say, it is finished. So we want to honor Jesus in his death tonight, and we also want to rejoice at the blessing that is ours in our redemption because of what Jesus did. And Jesus, uh, we do want to thank you for willingly dying, tasting death for us, your people. We uh, pray to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. 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 Isaiah? Oh, forgot. Yes, Isaiah. I'm busy getting all the other readers organized. I forgot, I'm one of them. So uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Later on, we're going to read some selections from Matthew's gospel dealing with the death of Jesus, um, and those passages are examples of historical passages from the Bible about the death of Jesus. In Isaiah, um, this is prophetic. This, these words were written some 700 years before the time of Christ, and yet they speak so clearly, not only of his death, but as you read all of chapter 53, uh, Isaiah also spoke prophetically about his resurrection. So, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verses 4 through 6, for example. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of the, uh, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And then in verse 12, towards the end, um, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The, the word of God. Amen. 
Reading from uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 25. Oh, you hear me now? Uh, Matthew uh, 26, verses 20 through 25. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, uh, to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man that by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if, for him if that man had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Would you sing with me, brothers and sisters? And we'll continue on with uh, Matthew 26, verses um, uh, 36 through 50. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again, then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later, later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. 
Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So continuing on, Matthew 26, 56b, and 69 to 75. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, mm-hmm. 
Continuing on in Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. The governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testified against you and he did not answer him and regarded to him a single charge so the governor was quite amazed continuing in verse 20 but the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death but the governor said to them which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. When Pilate said that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather starting a riot, he took water and washed his hands and in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after he, having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. Oh 
Continuing in chapter 27, starting with verse 31. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, and one on the left. And those who passed by denied him, waging, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. <laughs> Continuing on with Matthew 27, 45 to 54. And I would take note that the sixth hour is in reference to noon, and the ninth hour is reference to three in the afternoon. The death of Jesus. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shvachthani. That is... 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, appearing to many. When the satyrion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Amen. Continuing in Matthew 27, in verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb.
from Matthew's gospel. Matthew's not the only one who uh, wrote a narrative, a historical narrative about the death of Jesus. God in his providence has uh, given us a fourfold witness to the death of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, they all complement one another. Sometimes they write about the exact same events and details. And sometimes the individual gospel writers give us a unique detail that the other gospel writers don't. And that's the case with John chapter 19 and verse 30. John gives us a very important detail. In John 19 and verse 30, we read, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper of Communion, I want to think a little bit about those words, it is finished. It's actually one word in the original Greek New Testament. It's the word tetelestai. And that's a very rich word, it means more than just his life was ended. In other words, it's more than just uh, my life is ended, my suffering is ended, my time on the cross has ended. Surely that's included, but it's much richer than that. There's at least two nuances to the word tetelestai. And, and I believe that the scriptures bear out that both of these aspects of the meaning of that word, Jesus had in mind when he uttered this word from the cross. The first nuance is the idea of mission complete. In fact, John used that word earlier in verse 28 when he wrote, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, that all was now accomplished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And Jesus himself used the same word to telestai in John chapter 17 and verse 4 in the high priestly prayer. When he prayed to his father, and said, I glorified you on earth, 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, to telestai. So there is a sense in which as Jesus reached the end of his life and he gave up his spirit, he died and he said, it is finished. He meant that he had accomplished the work that his father had given him to do, the work that he had come into the world to accomplish. Which leads us to the second nuance, which is uh, related to the first one, because it explains, well, what exactly was that work that Jesus came to accomplish, to fulfill? And this nuance of the word to telestai, uh, we, we could say paid in full. Paid in full. In fact, it turns out that in the Greco-Roman culture, um, that was the word to telestai that would be stamped on a legal document showing that a debt had been paid. Recently, Denise and I were organizing some of our files, and um, we, I ran across a piece of paper that we got from when we sold our last house on, on Mesquite, and it was the county recorder, and uh, it was a reconveyance. And uh, the point of that document was that the original loan that we had owed to the mortgage holder, Alta One, was paid in full because we sold the house and the proceeds of the sale paid that loan off in full. And by the way, whenever you buy a house and you get a mortgage, um, they, they spell all the terms of the loan out for you and they usually give you an amortization table. Uh, most people get a 30-year mortgage and whatever the price of your house is, what you end up paying over the life of the loan ends up being something like three times the original purchase price. And so you make all those payments. And at the end of 30 years, which a lot of people don't actually do, but at the end of the period of your loan, when you make that final payment, then you'll get a reconveyance form and it'll say paid in full. Um, as I mentioned, this is something that was pretty well known in that culture. In fact, in the Greek-English lexicon by Moulton and Milligan, the uh, authors wrote this. Receipts are often introduced by the phrase tetelestai, usually written in an abbreviated manner. And then they go on to say, the connection between receipts and what Christ accomplished would have been quite clear to John's Greek-speaking readership. It would be unmistakable that Jesus Christ had died to pay their sins. So back to the illustration of, of a mortgage, the, the difference between what we usually experience and what Jesus did is that Jesus is the one who paid our debt. In fact, you know how I mentioned that there's 360 pay payments for a 30-year mortgage? The reality is that when it comes to our debt before God before, uh, because of our sins, we don't make any payments. We don't make a down payment. We don't make any of those 360 monthly payments because we can't. There's nothing that we can do to pay off the debt that is due to God because of our sins. Because whatever we would offer up would always be tainted by sin. It would always be currency that God doesn't accept, that's not worth anything. Uh, whatever we would attempt to pay to God to pay down our debt would be as worthless as the Russian ruble is these days or, or, or name the valueless world currency. We can't do it. Jesus must do it. He must pay every penny of it or it would never be paid down at all. And from the 
lips of our Lord himself to telestai. It is finished. Jesus paid our debt in full. And this is why the writer of the book of Hebrews says so much um, about this reality. Let me just read some passages to you, three passages from the book of Hebrews. Chapter 9 and verse 12, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Not paying part of it, not making it possible, but securing an eternal redemption. It is finished. Or later on in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verses 24 through 26. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It is finished. And then in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verses 10 through 12, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. And so, brothers and sisters, whatever burdens your soul tonight, whatever weighs you down in terms of worry and anxiety because of what may be going on in the world around us or in your own life, what might be happening in interpersonal relationships, whatever. Just know that your debt has been paid in full by Jesus. It is finished. Your eternal salvation is settled. It is taken care of. And if you're not a believer, what great news. What great news. This is your greatest need. You might think that your greatest need is more financial security or better friends or better uh, mental or physical health or what have you. But the Bible tells you, tells all of us, that your greatest need is to have the debt of your sins, the debt of your guilt before a holy God paid. And the Bible's message to you tonight is from the lips of Jesus himself, it is finished. And that can be your possession through faith in Jesus Christ tonight. What a great night to come to Jesus for your salvation. So as we conclude, we're, we're going to do what the Apostle Paul says when he says that as often as you eat this bread and drink this uh, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But uh, let's take a few moments and uh, still our hearts before the Lord and thank Jesus that uh, it is finished as far as our redemption is concerned and uh, confess our sins, maybe even our sins of the day, thanking him that uh, the debt's been paid, but still we should say the same thing that he does 
about our sins and uh, confess them. Let's go before the Lord silently as Janelle plays the piano. Amen. Let's give thanks for the bread that represents the broken body of our Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your suffering and death on Calvary's cross. We thank you for experiencing in your body the brutality, the torture, the physical pain that you did, that we've even read about in the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you suffered and died and laid down your body to be broken so that the debt of our sins would be paid. Thank you for your glorious and gracious words. It is finished. Amen. Let's share in the communion of our Lord's body together. Let's give thanks for the cup that is the symbol of Christ's blood that has been shed for uh, the sins of many. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for your precious blood. We know that your blood was just ordinary human blood, had the same chemical makeup as our own, but It represents the life of a human being, an image bearer of God who knew no sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you always obeyed your Father's will. We thank you that you never thought an evil thought. You never said anything that was at the wrong time or over the top, or in and of itself offensive and insulting. You never lusted in your heart. You were never sinfully jealous. You were never covetous. It truly was your meat, your food, to do the will of your Father. And yet, Lord, you died. You shed your blood not because you deserved it, but you shed your blood, life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, as our substitute. We thank you that you truly are our Passover lamb. You truly are the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And because you have died and you were raised again. So we live in you, and we look forward to the day of our own resurrection. Lord Jesus, again we thank you for these glorious and gracious words of yours from the cross. It is finished. Let's share 
in the communion of our Lord's blood. Amen. I'm going to ask one of the brothers, Ron or Josh, could you turn the lights all the way up? During our service, it's a tenebrae service, and it's supposed to be observed uh, in dim light because of the soberness of the occasion, but we uh, believe in a Savior who was not only put to death, but he rose again on the third day for our justification. So we're going to close now by singing uh, the rest of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And for this one, let's all stand together and rejoice because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. of the Apostle John from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. What we've concentrated on is Jesus uh, paying our debt for us because of our sins, but there is a practical ramification to us uh, from the death of Jesus, and John writes about this in 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. God bless you.